Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Brian Knight, and our guest today is Medicare for All Democrat Jen Perlman, who is running to replace corporatist Debbie Washerman Schultz in Florida's 23rd District. Uh, Jen, welcome back to Amped Up. Thank you so much for having me back on. Yeah, you know, here we are in this moment of deep suffering, deep injustice, and deep inequality, and the Democratic Party and Joe Biden are refusing to support Medicare for all during this pandemic. They're refusing to support the Green New Deal during the climate crisis, and they're refusing to support universal basic income during the economic crisis. So I mean this sincerely. What is even the point of the Democratic Party? I'm trying to figure that out myself at this point. I joined the Democratic Party in 1989. And at that point, to me, it represented the Labor Party. That was our Labor Party. That was the, you know, the pro-choice, pro-labor, pro-environment, anti-war. And what's fascinating is, is that I'm still exactly where I was when I did that. And yet they are nowhere to be found. And so what they're doing is they come at us and make it sound like we're so radical, we're so left, when in fact, we're exactly where they are supposed to be. In this country right now, we do not have a labor party. And everybody needs to understand that. Yep. We have no labor party in this country. We have two corporate parties. Yep. And so those of us that are still trying to do it within the Democratic Party, we're struggling to pull them back to where they were. It isn't that we're trying to pull them to the left. Right. We're, we're just trying to pull them back to where they were. And what happened is really through the 80s and 90s, we saw the complete corporate takeover um, of all branches of government and both political parties. Yep. And so that's yeah. where we are right now. Yeah. You know, and corporate Democrats for the last 20 to 30 years, every election cycle, they'll, they'll say, you know, meaningful change can wait until next time. We, we yeah. just need to beat the Republicans in this election. Yeah. And at some point, you have to actually deliver for the American people. And to me, therein lies the problem with our corporate duopoly. Both parties are not delivering for the people. They're delivering for their corporate donors. And even in the middle of a pandemic, which is seeing mass evictions, mass hunger, mass poverty, and mass suffering, the parties are still catering to the wealthy and abandoning the poor and the working class. How do we change that? I'm working on that every day. I'm, I'm trying to change that. You know, I think that right now, the biggest thing that we can do and that we are doing is pointing out the hypocrisy and holding, and holding people accountable because the more people that are seeing this, and believe me, especially with the pandemic, more people right. aren't seeing this. Yep. So now you've got people that are maybe thinking, maybe it's not such a good idea for health care to be tied to employment now that we're all losing our jobs. Like maybe this isn't the best approach. And then what you see, of course, from the Democrats is the MIC resistance, where basically mm -hmm. I see this from my representative. All that Debbie Wasserman Schultz does is blame Trump and Ron DeSantis. That's, That's right. It. It's yep. their fault. It's all Trump. It's all Trump. Trump. We've got to fight Trump. In fact, she just sent out a mailer yesterday. Ironically, she's using purple now, which are my colors. She also wow. cleaned a couple of my names that now get redirected to her congressional page, by the way. But we, we get, we'll talk about that in a minute. But <laughs> Can they come up with anything on their own? Are they just all about co-opting the progressive movement and then selling out to corporations? That's basically it. So if you go to JenPerlman.com or JenPerlmanForCongress.com, it now leads you directly to her official congressional page. 
shut up. She stole your like name to yes. use to get yes. to her website. Yes. And what's really, oh my really God. I thought that's one of the reasons you wanted to do this follow-up, but one of the things that's so weird about it or what's oh. most ethical is it isn't to a campaign page. No, no, no. It goes to her official congressional page as my representative. Wow. Wow. Yes. I mean, that's just blatant corruption in broad daylight. There's yeah. Well, so yesterday she sends out a mailer using purple, which is our color. And, and she's always been red and black and white have always been her color. So she sends out this purple mailer and the whole thing is just blaming Trump and that she's the one to stand up to Trump because that's really all they can offer is this fake Mick resistance. Right. Because they don't well, stand for anything. I think you, you hit the nail on the head earlier where you said, you know, we have to start calling out their hypocrisy whenever yes. we see it. Because for some reason, well, I think I know the reason. There's been a reluctancy to actually challenge corporate Democrats and call them out because I think because the Republican Party is so bad and so corrupt and, and they they commit their corruption just like right in broad daylight. They're kind of unapologetic about it. Whereas the corporate Democrats, you know, they'll go on CNN and they'll say all the right things. You know, they'll use all the right platitudes. But then as soon as they leave that CNN interview, they're not actually supporting the progressive policies they say they support. They're actually fighting against them. Right. And so if the American people's only two choices are evil and bad or not as bad or not as evil, how are things ever going to get better? So that for me is like why we, you know, we've been too nice to these corporate Democrats who really, when you look at it, they've done nothing for the last 40 years except hand more power to Republicans, hand more power to corporations, hand more power to billionaires. And for me, their refusal to fight for the progressive policies and constant capitulation to the GOP is the biggest problem we face. Yeah, I agree. And I think that something that we as progressives need to do, and I started doing this within this campaign, is when people sort of put out this idea that these ideas are radical and they're to the left and they're all that, I completely flat out reject it. I won't even have that discussion anymore. I'm tired of discussing Medicare for all for people. To me, it's like arguing with a flat earther or a creationist. I don't yeah. have the wherewithal at this point if you don't see that, that we are the only country that doesn't have this and that that is causing a lot of our problems, then you are now living in another universe for me. I, th this isn't worthy of it. We can't have an educated conversation about this. Well, they blame us. They'll say, you know, that it's a, it's a purity test. And for me, demanding Medicare for all during a pandemic when millions of Americans are losing their insurance, that's not a purity test. It's a basic human rights test that Joe Biden and corporate Democrats like your opponent, Debbie Washington Schultz, are failing. Yeah. Well, what's really telling and what people need to have really, I hope everybody caught this, was when Joe Biden was asked, if Medicare for all passes Congress and lands on your desk, what would you do? And he said he would veto it. Yep. So now what you're talking about is an idea, a policy that is supported by 72% of the American people. And that policy gets through our Congress and it lands on his desk and he says he's going to veto it. Mm -hmm. And then he wants to know why we're not supporting him. Or, or, or were crazy. the Trump supporters for supporting Medicare for all? Well, you know and what? Honestly, deal. Like that's their new thing. They're, 
They're calling progressives Trump supporters because yeah. we're demanding better from our candidate. We're demanding better from Joe Biden. Well, they're trying to switch the narrative around in a very fear-based mentality and sort of voter shame and guilt us and do that lesser of two evils and that harm reduction and all of that. And most of the people that do that is, I'll tell you what I've noticed, are people whose basic needs are all met. Thank you. People that are very comfortable and to them, it really doesn't make a big difference. It doesn't. They don't really care. Their life is the same. So when people's basic needs are met, it's very easy to tell everyone else to do the lesser of two evils. Right. And, and like, it's not just one election cycle. I can see if like, OK, maybe one election cycle. They were like, OK, this election cycle, you just got to suck it up, hold your nose and vote for the lesser. Of two yeah. Evils. No, they've been doing this for four decades. Yeah. They've been doing this for 40 years. And so I said to my partner, who's who's more of a moderate than me and is kind of trying to understand what where the progressives are coming from right now. You know, I just said it in very clear English, like, look, any political party that forces you to vote for the lesser of two evils for 40 years doesn't have your best interests at heart. They have their corporate donors oh, interests yeah. at heart. And we deserve better than this. We deserve a party that puts the people and the planet over corporate yeah. greed. Well, look, I say it all the time. People bring up this whole conversation about, you know, where do I stand on third parties and how do I feel about that? And is, and I am very supportive of the whole idea. I think there should be multiple parties. But what I like to say is, yeah, at this point, I'd be happy with two because we don't have two. We have we have right. one corporate party. And I don't care that yep. the blue side is nicer to LGBTQ. That doesn't do jack shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not enough of a difference. Oh, and they're pro-choice. Right. So you've got the pro-choice, nicer to LGBTQ corporatists on one side, and then the, just the other corporatists on the other side. That's not two parties. Well, and we have to also point out that it is not. It is one corporate party. You're absolutely right. But it also, it, when you're giving just performative lip service and you say you're with LGBTQ people, what about working class oh, yeah, LGBTQ no, people? What about homeless trans no. women? So. You know, there are so many people that these corporate parties, even the Democratic Party, they say they're for LGBTQ rights. But how can you be for LGBTQ rights when when poverty and hits our community more than any other community and they're not right. standing up for working class LGBTQ? Well, and certainly you can definitely look at the issue with the trans community and the health care problem. Absolutely. So, you know, and, you know, we we know that in the world of vulnerable communities right now, Black trans women are like number one on the most vulnerable form, right? Yep. And so when when I see the resistance party doing making those nods to things like it's I love that you call it Mick resistance, like McDonald's. Yes, well, it is. It's, you know, it's, look at me clap condescendingly. Look at me rip these papers. Look at all the political theater. But I'm still going to approve his military budget, and I'm still going to extend the Patriot Act, and I'm still going to give a three trillion dollar slush fund to Steve Mnuchin. So all of the right. theater in the world doesn't change the fact that people still haven't all gotten their one-time $1,200 payment, and corporations just got yet another bailout. Well, and I think that hits at the at the heart of what's wrong. Like when you have two, when you have one party that's just working for the the corporate class, of course they're not actually fighting about anything substantive, and they're not actually fighting about policy. So they, what ends up happening is they're fighting over political yes. theater and ripping up papers, like you said. And and nobody's life gets better when you have politicians are, are fighting each other. People's lives get better when they're actually passing policies that transform our lives. But our but our politics is because literally down at, at the floor right now, 
And again, like you said, I mean, the Democratic Party, all they stand for right now to me is that they're against Trump. Okay, I get it. Like I was against Trump the moment he walked down the elevator and said Mexicans are drug dealers and rapists. That was in 2015. It is now five years later. And the best that you have to come up with after five years later is that Trump is bad. Like, what do you stand for? What are you fighting for? Because the progressive movement is giving great policies to the country right now. Medicare for all a Green New Deal, universal yeah. basic income. Why won't you join us and fight for those policies? With well, us? we know why. I mean, we know why. They can't. Their corporate donors won't allow it. And ultimately, right. that's where people are answering. I mean, look, when you look at something like the race in New York, were you following the race at all between Jamal Bowman and Elliot Engel? Oh, okay. yeah. I help, I help Jamal. Oh, campaign. that's awesome. And, you know, obviously I'm a fan of Jamal. He's a slate mate. But when you look at the fact that the Congressional Black Caucus endorsed Elliot Engel over Jamal Bowman, that should speak volumes to people. They're literally endorsing an old white man who will protect the establishment over a a young Black progressive who's actually fighting for policies that will improve the material conditions of the And by the way... No, it shows you that the point of the Democratic Party is literally to protect corporate power. And that same sort of sort of lip service, but it's really kind of not. You can see that also in the leadership of communities like the LGBTQ. No, absolutely. Let's shift the conversation and talk about Florida, uh, because Florida uh, is now the new ground zero in the United States for the coronavirus with a massive surge in cases in the past month. Why is is the coronavirus hitting Florida, especially South Florida, where you are so hard right now? I think that the obvious answer is lack of leadership. And really, anybody who's been watching Florida during this shutdown, um, we never properly shut down in the first place. And that's that's the problem. And I do think that a large part of this has to do with Florida as a right to work state and our general treatment of labor in general. And so when you open back up, you're essentially forcing labor to go back to work or not have money. And because obviously we don't have a UBI or we don't have any sort of really strong collective bargaining in Florida, this is something that the labor is going to be hung out to dry. And that's what essentially is happening by opening back up. But I also do think a lot of this has to do with that our governor was basically put in that office to be able to hand over Florida to Trump this year. And so he is essentially a mini Trump. So what you see on the national level is you will see a microcosm of that in Florida because that is our governor. Yeah. And again, like you said, people can't safely quarantine at home unless the government gives them money for food and rent so they can stay home. So again, the, the big breakdown for me with all of this is what we were talking about on the podcast in the beginning is that when you have two corporately owned parties, which are essentially one party, the big business party, and you have, uh, you know, the biggest pandemic in modern history strikes. And the first thing they do is they run and bail out Wall Street and their corporate donors, and they leave the working class out to dry and basically abandon them. What's going to happen? You're, you're literally, you're creating another crisis. So for me, a lot of this economic pain and a lot of the, the hunger we're seeing and, and people just in survival mode, it was a political choice by two corporately controlled parties that chose to put their donors over the people who elected them into office. Oh, yeah. This is this is people that are solely capitalizing, like almost at a level of price gouging is what we're seeing. And so 
we have a real serious pandemic. And instead of seeking to help people through it, they're seeking how to profit off of it. And you see this at every level. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to those of us who have been paying attention, but that's what's happening. So they're finding a way. Look, the top people, the top earners, the top wealthy people in this country, I want to say they cleared over 500 billion in two months. In the they past did, couple they, of months. $565 billion. The yeah. America's 620 billionaires have gotten $565 yeah. billion dollars richer. Yeah. And JP Morgan Chase, our country's biggest bank, just had, they just reported this yesterday, they just had their biggest quarterly revenue earning ever in the history yeah. of their company. So while we're suffering, while the working class is suffering, the ruling class is making more and more money than ever. I just yeah. don't know what else it's going to take for people to wake up and realize like we're not living in a democracy. We're living in an oligarchy where we have corrupt politicians that are shoveling money into the the into the corporations hands, into the ruling class's hands and writing policies that are directly opposed to the working people in this country. And the best part of it is, is they have us punching down instead of punching up. That's right. And fighting each other while they're oh, yeah. against us. And yeah, that's so what I tell people about this country's never going to get better. If you think that replacing red corporate backed politicians with blue corporate backed politicians is going to change or save or heal America, you're living in a fairy tale because they're both beholden to the same corporate donors. So if you want to change America, you've got to replace a corporate Democrat like Debbie Washington Schultz with a progressive Medicare for all Democrat like Jen Perlman. It's that simple. But people get very, and especially when you look at our district and it has to do with the demographics and it is very generational. When you look at the older generation and it isn't all boomers, like my parents are very cool and very woke and it isn't them. But when you look at older generation and like I said in the beginning, a lot of these people's needs are already being met. So to them, the idea of change is just too scary. And so it is very generational and they're clinging on to what's comfortable to them because they cannot see past it and they don't know. And it's very fear-based thinking. And the powers that be love to keep those fans of fear planning. They'll just keep flaming that, fanning those flames. They don't care because they want us to be scared. They want us to be scared of everything having to do with immigrants or Muslims or the Russians or whatever it is that they can be blaming to get us to not look at where the real source of the problem is. Right. And that to me, like if there was ever a moment that that was screaming out for bold progressive change, this is the moment. Right. Oh, yeah. It just hit 100 degrees in the Arctic for the first time in history. We've got a climate crisis bearing down upon us. We are in we have an economic inequality crisis bearing down upon us when the rich keep getting richer and the working class keep getting poorer and poorer. You know, we've got a, um, a systemic racism crisis going on when you have black and brown people being disproportionately murdered by the police. So all these crises that our nation is facing are coming to a boil. And what are our leaders doing? Our leaders are saying, no, we need to retreat and just go back to business as usual and status quo. And and, and for me, it's it's literally, it's insanity that in this moment that the the Democratic Party and, and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and your opponent, Debbie Washman Schultz, would actually think that like now is the time to 
to to fall back on the old ways because the old ways and the old systems and the old solutions, if you can even call them that, that's what got us here. Centrism is what got us here. Incrementalism is what brought us here. It's not going to move us forward or take us out of here. For that, we need bold, progressive change. Yeah, they just cannot wrap their heads around it. And remember, the corporatists that are there, it isn't that they don't know better. Uh, somebody like Nancy Pelosi knows that we could have Medicare for all. She yep. knows that it's possible. They just don't care to do that because they like to keep siphoning the profits to their rich friends. Right. And it also, I mean, look, when you just, all you have to do is go to opensecrets.org oh, yeah. and you can see that the giant insurance companies give 50% of their money to corporate Republicans and they give the other 50% of their donations to corporate Democrats. Yep. So if, if the, the reason Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and the DNC don't support Medicare for all is because they want to protect one of their biggest donors, which are these giant insurance companies, which yeah. are literally profiting off of our sickness. They yeah. Are profiting. And, and it's like if there's one industry where you just need to keep your predatory capitalism away from, it's our health. It's our health care. You know, I said to my someone the other day, keep your predatory capitalism off of our health care. Well, yes. And I actually, one of the things I always say is to me, there's three industries that should never be for profit, healthcare, public education, and corrections. And right now we live in a world where those three things are for profit in this country. So it's not a surprise that we're in this mess. We have for-profit incarceration and for-profit policing. Right. Yeah, no no the, other the, country the, has this. Nobody has systems, this. Our systems profit off of poverty. They profit off of racism. They yeah. profit off of injustice. And yeah. we, need, we need to replace our corrupt systems with healing systems, with systems that actually provide and serve the American people. And we're so far away from that because our politicians are put into office to protect and maintain these corrupt systems. And then they tell the other people that are not necessarily as privy to some of the information that we are, that those things are not possible. We're just pie in the sky. We're right. conspiracy theorists. Like it's all that right. gaslighting. And so unfortunately, there is this whole massive like level of people in this country that are used by the top 1% yep. to perpetuate a message, even though they're not recipients of those of the benefits. Well, right. And like you were saying earlier, if you can just keep it, if you can keep the 99% fighting with each other, yeah, you know, the, the red, the red team fighting versus the blue team, they can just keep siphoning off the wealth to the 1%. They can just yeah. keep rigging the system against us. And we're at a point now where the system has been rigged against working people for so long. I yep. mean, the working class have been carrying this nation on their back for 40 plus years. Yeah, it's time for the billionaire class to pay their fair share. It's time for the ruling class to do their part because we cannot keep sacrificing our people and sacrificing the working class at the altar of this predatory capitalism that's not even putting value into their pockets and a living wage into their pockets or healthcare right. into their pockets. We cannot take this any longer. That's how I feel. I mean, I... Look, I, I've been watching this happen over years, almost in like slow-mo. And now it's, if, if like you were saying, if people are not understanding from this pandemic that things like having your healthcare tied to your employment is not a good idea, um, then I, it's, it's like, what would it take for people to understand that our system is failing? 
That's right. And every other nation that is now moving beyond coronavirus and they're, go- you know, in Europe, they're getting ready for their kids to go back to school. Yeah. Those, those nations have a universal healthcare system. So literally when you compare why, why is coronavirus hitting America harder than any other nation? It's because we are the only developed nation in the world without a single payer universal healthcare system. And don't forget, we also don't have paid sick leave in this country. So when you've got when you've got this is one more thing where we crush labor. So when you've got people struggling to get by, they're not they're making we have McDonald's workers here. They make eight and a quarter an hour. That's Mm. in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, so those people don't get paid sick leave. So in other words, even if they did get the virus, they can't take time off of work to stay out of it. So they're they're essentially putting everybody at risk. So our entire infrastructure is at at way greater risk than any other developed nation based on the fact that we don't have health care and we don't have paid sick leave. And so that's going to keep us in this nightmare infinitely longer than we would have needed to be. And that when you say that, 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 that the McDonald's workers in your town only make $8 an hour, that to me strikes at the heart of what is broken in America. Because when you look over the last 40 years, CEO pay has increased by a thousand percent. And yet that's not considered extremism. Yet what's considered extremism by the establishment is paying workers a living wage. Like that is so backwards. And so it's like, we are a nation that is out of balance. We are a nation that has lost our soul. And so when people say that Trump is the disease, I always correct them like, no, Trump is the symptom. symptom. The disease that's destroying America is greed and this predatory capitalism that says we can give CEOs a thousand percent pay raise over the last 40 years while workers' wages remain flat and don't even change. Right. It's how we prioritize and value people. And, it, it, and it's across the board. It's how we value immigrants, how we value right. people of color, how we value women. And just in general, like, We don't value those things because in this country, we value money and capitalism. And so when people complain about Trump, to me, I actually can't think of a better representative of what we are as a country. Because when you, to me, and the rest of the world sees us and how we are perceived, we are a giant predatory capitalist bully. And I can't think of somebody who better represents that than Donald Trump, quite honestly. No, that's well said. And getting back to talking about capitalism and our economy, it's like our economy doesn't value workers. No. Our economy doesn't value our humanity. Our economy doesn't value our planet. No. And those three things, like we, you, we need to restructure this economy and have an economy that's not rigged for the ruling class and not rigged for these giant corporations, but we need an economy that actually values our workers. We need an economy that actually values our humanity. Yeah. And we need an economy that values our planet because we are running out of time to save this planet. I, it's absolutely. We, we have a serious, um, uh, like we're at a serious crossroads right yep. now. This, and there, we have an opportunity to sort of shift the paradigm. And, and I've been trying to do that just within the confines of my campaign and shift the dialogue to what should this look like? And to me, congressional representation should look like a term of service. So we've been out serving the community. And mm-hmm. I just think that this point 
We need to all be sort of putting out there what it is we're wanting and not letting everybody dictate what we're what we should be happy getting. I don't want to be happy to be fighting over scraps and holding my nose and voting for people. Why do we have to do that? You know, it's just it's not acceptable. Well, and And I I think that I think that lack of imagination is what led us here is that people just accepting the status quo and accepting business as usual when when status quo means the rich keep getting richer as we've seen for the last four decades and working people keep doing worse and worse. We have to imagine a better world. We have to imagine what it would be like to have an economy that actually distributes wealth evenly and not so much at the top. We have to imagine an economy that takes into account our natural resources and protecting our natural resources. I mean, one of the biggest flaws with capitalism that's not discussed enough is that capitalism assumes that there are uh, an unlimited amount of natural resources in this world. No, there's not. There is a finite, there is a limited amount of natural resources in this world. Fresh water will run out eventually. So yes, we have an economy that's just assuming that we can that, that we can keep growing with the you know that unlimited economic growth is is possible and it's actually impossible because we don't have an unlimited amount of natural resources. So we have to have an economy that actually is protecting our resources, you know, a resource-based economy. But people don't even you know they're so far up capitalism's rear that they can't even think about an economy that actually values anything besides shareholder value and the how much the CEOs are making and how much the corporations are making. Well, it's a big, it's a big problem. Um, you know, we, we always have prioritized sort of this idea that it's a meritocracy. So the people that earn the most, it's because they work the hardest. Like we have this concept that those people actually earned their wealth. And, and it's, it's really hard for people to grasp this idea that that's not necessarily the case. And I am firmly in the camp that nobody earns a billion dollars. You steal a billion dollars. Right. You, well, you earn it off the, off the backs and the hard work of millions of working class people. They're the ones who earn that billion for you. Essentially. And this is what I tell anybody. And I am not anti-capitalism. I'm really not. And when you start talking like I can't tell you the amount of times I've been called a communist or a socialist at this point. But um, I'm simply saying certain societal industries should not be for profit industries. But outside of that, even industries that I have no problem with capitalism, you know, like you let's say you and you invent this widget. And you and it costs you a dollar to make your widget and you want to sell your widget for a thousand dollars. As long as it's a non-essential widget, I have no problem with that. Go ahead, sell your widget, you know, make whatever you want. But if you can make that money properly taking care of your employees, not screwing the environment and paying your fair share of taxes, then I have no problem with how wealthy you can get. So it isn't a problem with that. I have a problem with people making a lot of money. It's how are you making that money and who are you hurting while you do it? And I think that to me is, you know, I actually, I mean, I was never an anti-capitalist until I started to see that like the direction we're going is not sustainable. Yeah. So that, yes, in a perfect world, what you described, absolutely. Yeah. But what's happening now is the complete opposite that, yeah. you know, corporations, their wealth comes before, you know, poverty, their wealth comes before the endless wars that are happening. 
You know, their wealth yeah. comes before the climate, the climate catastrophes that are unfolding. Their wealth comes before our planet and our people. And so we're all sacrificing so much so that just a few can get richer and richer. And at some point, the system isn't going to sustain itself because, again, a nation without balance will topple. And we are a nation that is out of balance. Oh, and yeah. So we have to get the nation back in balance. And that requires the billionaire class and the ruling class to finally start to, 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 to join us with the rest of us and actually be a part of the solution and actually pay their fair share and actually help the planet and actually help the people. And right now, they just don't want to do it. The only well, thing they care about is helping and maximizing their bottom line. So then we turn into this, like, we're, we're, we're becoming like this chaotic society where if we don't get this greed problem under control, the greed will consume us. Capitalism, what I see right now in 40, 50, 60 more years, it will consume itself. It will eat itself because there'll be no more natural resources and there'll be no more people left for it to eat. Well, I always say that it's imploding and it's imploding. And what I try to do is when I'm talking to people that say might be more centrist or more fearful of these sort of socialist kinds of concepts that they say we're throwing out there, as I say, let's assume that I'm a complete capitalist and I support capitalism 100 percent. Capitalism cannot exist without consumers. So, you, you know, the, the wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, they're going to do fine no matter what happens to the economy. But most people are in that middle group, even the wealthier section of that middle group, where they are dependent on a functioning economy, not just on their, you know, sitting on their pile of money. They still need an income based on a functioning economy. You cannot have functioning capitalism without consumers. And you cannot have consumers when people have no disposable income in, from which to consume. So when you talk about things, when I say things like Medicare for all, what you need to understand is it isn't just about the moral aspect. If people didn't have to stress about things like healthcare, imagine the impact on our local economies. Yep. So maybe I don't have to stress out about my kids' asthma medicine now. Maybe I can afford to do some extra Christmas shopping this year or buy another car or whatever it is. That is how money goes into the economy is when we put it in the hands of working people. We can and put I, $2 trillion at the top, but it's not going to make its way down to us. And I, I love what you said about Medicare for All, because I think that nothing would be better for small businesses than Medicare for All. Absolutely. Because right now, there are a lot of, of really entrepreneurial and hardworking people who are staying at their corporate job for yep. one reason, to keep their health care and to have mm -hmm. health care. If all of a sudden everyone has health care and it's not, a it's not attached to your corporate job, you're no longer like you can leave your corporation and you can start a small business. Yeah. How much easier is it to start a small business when you know when you don't when all your employees that you hire already have health care? Exactly. You, have to, you know, because that would be on a small business providing the, your employees health care is like your number one expense. Yeah. So you start to realize that like things like Medicare for all are going to be huge boons for small yes. business, huge boons for the working class, huge boons for the middle class. Yep. Now, it might not be as good for these giant corporations or the ruling class, but again, the working class has been making sacrifices for 40 years. It's time for them up there in their palaces to make some sacrifices too. And the other thing I like, you know, one of the things I really like about Andrew Yang and about the Yang gang, because I was definitely not me us. So that's like, you know, I was yes. burning all the way. But my second favorite candidate this cycle was Andrew Yang. And I'll tell you why. Because Andrew Yang was actually fighting for something. Yes. He was fighting for universal basic income. 
just like Bernie was actually fighting for something. You know, he's yes. fighting for Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. Whereas Democrats like Joe Biden, I don't even know what Joe Biden is still fighting for. They tell us what we can't have. Us. They just tell us what we can't have. What we can't have. So, and when I look at something like universal basic income, do I think it is going to fix capitalism? No. But do I think that it is the best band-aid and the best short-term solution to the massive levels of inequality that capitalism is producing right now? Yes. I think there's nothing better than we can do right now than to instantly put cash into the hands of that McDonald's worker you're talking about. Exactly. Who is only making $8 an hour. She's making starvation wages. Yeah. Right? And so, again. And without health care, by the way, they don't have health care either. Right. So if you can just look at those two things, we would be a much better nation and the Green Deal to start to save our planet. But when you look at the corporate Democrats, they're anti-Medicare for all, they're anti-Green New Deal, they're anti-universal basic income, they're anti the policies that we need to move this country forward. So I just, that's why I can't get excited about Joe Biden. Yes, I want Trump to be gone, but what, what more than anything, what I want to get rid of is the systemic injustice and the systemic inequality that led to Trump winning in the first place. Because yeah. we don't treat the root causes and we don't treat the actual disease, the predatory capitalism and the systemic racism and the systemic inequality. If we don't treat that, there'll be another Trump in four years. There'll be another Trump in eight years. Yeah. We'll just keep this vicious cycle. We'll just keep repeating itself over and over again. And they don't. Finally, Democrats are ready to fight for meaningful change. Yeah, they don't get it. And so when I when people are always like, well, you know, Joe's uh, harm reduction, it's the lesser of two evils. It's whatever they say. But, you know, from someone's perspective could be and I'm not saying it's mine, but it could be maybe I'm better off with another four years of Trump than eight years of an of another neoliberal. Yeah. That would lead to potentially a worse situation than Trump. And that's assuming that that person doesn't have a VP that continues that even more than those eight years. Well, you're hitting the nail on the head, Jen. Someone said this to me the other day and I hadn't thought of it. It's totally what you're saying. They said, look, they're probably going to pick a moderate vice president. So, yes. you know, a neoliberal vice president. So yep. Joe Biden serves four years. Then whoever they pick is that you know, centrist VP, they're the favorite to win in 2024. Yes, exactly. We could be stuck with neoliberalism, neoliberalism for 12 years. Yes. We could yes. be stuck with centrism. And if people that are listening don't understand what that means, what neoliberalism and liberalism and centrism mean is I will go on CNN and I will use lots of lofty platitudes. I call it the platitude and, sandwich. It's a platitude yeah. sandwich. I'll offer, offer you lots of platitudes and then I'll turn around and hand massive amounts of power and wealth to the corporations and the ruling class. That is what neoliberalism is. It is not progressive. It is not policies that benefit the working class. It is not policies that really help the middle class. And it definitely doesn't help the poor. Neoliberalism and centrism is just dressed up Republican Republicanism that really just helps the wealthy and hurts the poor. It's Republicans with a D next to their name and they wear blue instead of red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm aware that if you looked at my opponents, like if you looked at her position on paper and you didn't know, you would assume she was a Republican. You would say, oh, look, look at that, a pro-choice Republican. And that would be it. Like, that's that's what your thought would be about her. 
And you are right on cue because our next segment is about your opponent. Um, oh. So let's shift gears and talk about your opponent, uh, Debbie Washerman Schultz, who I like to call one of the most corrupt corporate Democrats in the House of Representatives. For those who need a refresher, uh, on the eve of the Democratic Party's 2016 presidential convention, Debbie Washerman Schultz was forced to resign from her post as DNC chair after emails revealed party staffers had favored Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders during the primaries. Uh, Nikki Barnes, a progressive DNC member from Florida, said, those of us on the DNC know we have to rebrand ourselves and earn the people's trust. And unfortunately, Debbie Washerman Schultz's name does not scream trust. It screams power. It screams limited access. It screams WikiLeaks. It screams DNC lawsuit. It screams a lot of negative things to the public. That's not how we want to rebrand ourselves. In addition to her corrupt backroom deal-making, Debbie Washerman Schultz is a bought and paid for corporate hack who takes money from Wall Street, Big Oil, Big Pharma, and giant, giant insurance companies. So why in the hell does Florida's thir- 23rd district keep reelecting her? That's a great question. And it actually, it has a very simple answer. We have very, very gerrymandered districts that she was a very big part of creating that make it so that it's a very safe blue seat. So in other words, the only way to challenge her is in a primary. However, Florida also has closed primaries. So in order for her to keep her seat, she needs a very small group of people to come out in August, mind you. So they have primaries in Florida in August, which is our like our least populous month. And this is all set up to keep voter turnout low and to keep these. And it isn't just her. It's other people that sit in their safe seats as well. So we live in a very gerrymandered, closed primary district. And that's how she gets to sit there. And do you want to shine a light, shine a little more light on on her corruption? Look, she takes money from not just corporations, but pretty nefarious interests. So I could go down every single one of my policy statements and explain why it is she couldn't be doing that. So Medicare Mm -hmm. for all. She takes money from private insurance and big pharma, right? Green New Deal. She takes money from the fossil fuel industry, from big sugar and from Next Era Energy, which is Florida Power and Light. Criminal justice reform. She takes the second highest amount of police PAC money of any Democrats in the House. So she can stand up at a Black Lives Matter rally and talk about police reform, but she's not going to do anything about it because she's getting paid by the Fraternal Order of Police to look the other way. So on every single policy issue, I could probably tell you who she takes her money from that would have her acting counter to what most people want. 72% of the American people want Medicare for all. That's a majority. She's our employee. She is insubordinate. When you are not doing what you are supposed to be doing as an employee, that means you're insubordinate. And that's when you need to be terminated. (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, she's not going to do the things we want. She wouldn't even meet with members of our progressive caucus to discuss Medicare for all. Mm. And that's where, and that's to me, like we cannot, this nation, when we talked earlier about we are a nation that is out of balance, that continues to, uh, you know, benefit the wealthy at the expense of the poor and the working class. We're not going to get back into balance and we're not going to correct and improve this nation if we keep electing politicians who, like you said, get into office and then forget about the voters who elected them and forget about, you know, who they were supposed to serve. You know, the last time I checked, our Constitution says of, by and for the people, not of, by and for the giant corporations and the ruling class. So 
we have got to all come together and start to vote out these corporate controlled politicians, whether they're Republicans. Yeah, let's vote all the corporate controlled Republicans out. But let's also vote all the corporate controlled Democrats out and replace them with real actual progressives who want to to help the American people and serve the American people. I, uh, yeah. And I am a firm believer that a representative is supposed to actually represent their constituents because it's not called the House of Leaders. It's called the House of Representatives. And what so to me personally, I don't have an issue with conservative representatives if they're representing a conservative constituency. If you're from a, a conservative town or a conservative place and the people that live there have conservative values, even if you're a, a, a totally non-corporate politician, you should still be acting on, on conservative values because those are your people. And right. I have no problem with that, right? If somebody's properly representing, that's always my question when someone will say something about a representative. I'm like, are they properly representing their constituents? Because it doesn't matter what you think living in some urban place across the country from maybe the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, but yes. are they representing their constituents? And if the answer is yes, then they're doing their job. And it doesn't matter whether I agree with the policy or not. You see what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's what we need to get into the mindset of, of thinking. And so we, what we don't need is a corporate party siphoning out their attention in any way because that has no bearing on what's in the best interest of anybody's constituency. So I, I always encourage people to look at this and just look where your people take their money from because that's who they're answering to. Well, that's one of the most frustrating parts for me is that in my political awakening in the last four years is that all this information is literally available. All you have yes. to do is go check the FEC filings and yes. you will find out that 90 percent of the of the Democrats in our party are bought and paid for by corporations and yep. billionaires. Yep. You know, unfortunately, that's just the fact. And literally 98 percent of the Republican Party. So, you know, that's just it's a small difference. Are. It's a very it's a very negligible difference. Right. And so we're not going to get better if we keep electing these politicians who keep putting corporations over the interests of the people. And how it this is where you get into a good chicken and an egg argument, because we have such campaign finance issues, right, that caused that allow this to happen. But the only way to change the campaign finance issues is to elect people that aren't beholden to them. And right. so we're slowly chipping away at it and getting non-corporatists in. But ultimately, what needs to happen is we need publicly financed elections and we need to close the revolving door between corporate America and, and government. And, and when you do those things and you really take the government out of the private sector and they're not connected to the corporations and the special interests, then you can and only then can we start seeing representatives that truly see this as a term of service. Do you think it's, I mean, we see these crises bearing down upon us very quickly. Are, are we going to be able to change fast enough? It, it feels to me like, you know, yes, we're getting a few progressives in, but it's, it's, that's why I, you know, I am, yes, I still support Medicare for all and Green New Deal and UBI Democrats like you that are running and I support the few leftists we have, but I do yeah. also support the formation, uh, of a, of a major new progressive party, not for this election cycle, uh, but for 2022, because I think in addition to people like you changing it from the inside, I think we need more pressure on the outside, pressuring the, these parties. And, and there's no greater pressure than competition. And right now there's no competition because again, it's one party and that serve the same corporate donors. So if we can start a new major progressive party, that would pressure the Democratic Party to actually be better. And that it would be enough. So that's uh, why look, like, I'm supporting uh, the efforts of the People's Party 
which is organizing now um, to demand a people's bailout from Congress yeah. and then organizing for candidates to run in 2022. What are your thoughts support- on just like outside pressure? Yeah, no, I am supportive of all of the above. Like my my approach is you got to do it from every possible angle and so you throw enough shit against the wall, something's going to stick. <laughs> right. But 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 ultimately, like I said before, you know, we wouldn't need a third party necessarily if we had a labor party in this country. Absolutely. And I so, mean, if the Democratic Party was representing us and supporting Medicare for exactly. All and a Green New Deal and UBI, exactly. the majority of the party wants, we, we would support the Democratic Party. But they're not I just, I'm the very, the people want. Yeah, I'm just very um, cynical, I guess, when it comes to the idea of a third party being able to break through because the duopoly has made this system has been constructed in such a way yep. that to essentially keep them out. And, you know, you, you, we've I've been seeing this for years. Look, I'm 49. And the closest mm-hmm. anybody's ever come to being a successful third party run was Ross Perot. And even then it was, it was trifling, right? Like the, it was the, what was the name? I forget the name of that party at the time that they tried to, the, the reform party, maybe it was called. Um, but it's the duopoly keeps the third parties th- to, to a position where they're just, they have no power. They can't even get in. I know the, the thing that's different. And I agree with you. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm not excited about the green party is like, they've been trying for decades to break through the duopoly and they've never been able to do it. So it's like, for me, I don't see them as like the viable path forward beyond this election. If Look, people... they turned down Jesse Ventura, which I thought was not a good move, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I just, I mean, look, they've had so many opportunities, but when you look at polling and you see that like, the, the biggest party in America is not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It's literally the it's independents and yes. it's people who don't vote. People yeah. who don't vote, you know, there's this whole vote shaming thing that like you can just vote blue no matter who. And that, the hundred million Americans who don't vote, which are actually the biggest political party in America, is called the non-voter party. Yeah. You're not going to get them to vote by just screaming vote blue no matter who at them. The reason they don't vote is because they don't think that politicians care about them and they're actually correct. Politicians care about their corporate donors. So the reason I think the People's Party could work moving forward is that there are so, there is, again, there's a hundred million Americans who do not vote every four years, which is, again, more than who vote for Republicans or Democrats. And if you can get a party that's speaking to their needs, that's speaking to the working class, that's speaking to communities of color, that's speaking to the poor and speaking to the policies that will help those communities. I actually think that 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 a progressive party could be viable. And here's why. You look, imagine if Bernie Sanders never ran in the Democratic primary in 2016 or 2020. He would have done way better in the general because independents don't vote in the Democratic primary process. The, the majority of the Democratic primary is moderate voters. So that was always his biggest hump. Then you have a Democratic Party that's kind of rigging the process against him. And so it's like, are we going to keep putting our progressive champions in this Democratic primary that is going to be rigged from the beginning against our candidate when we could have a new major party in 2024 where they can actually just run against the two corporate candidates in the general? I think they stand a good chance because I think it's just hard to get them on parties. 
it's just hard to get them on ballots in all the states because the parties control the system. And that's something that is a major problem. So it isn't so much that we even have these political parties. It's that they control the electoral process. And the electoral process should be completely independent of any party affiliation. So that's where I see a massive problem. You know, when if you just had Democrats and Republicans and they were just talking heads in political parties, that's one thing. Right. But the fact that they control how the votes happen, they control the process of our democracy. That's two private clubs that control our democracy. That should be scary to people. And I don't care what your political affiliation is. Well, and it's like in that court filing uh, after the 2016 election where the lawyers for the DNC argued in court that the DNC is a private corporation and yep. they can do whatever they want and they can nominate whoever they want. Yep. I mean, that is literally the antithesis of democracy. Right. And isn't that ironic that that's the Democratic Party? I would right. like to point out that the Republican Party doesn't even have superdelegates. So who's really more Democratic? No, it's true. The Republic, I, I argued that this year on Twitter and I got a million centrists and neoliberals telling me I was a traitor, essentially. Yes. But you are absolutely right. The The Democratic primary has superdelegates that can supersede the electorate, and the Republican primary doesn't even have that. So you are yeah. absolutely correct. In some ways, the Republican Party is more Democratic in their, elect, in their primary election process than the Democratic, Democratic Party is. And it is, absolutely. It is outlandish. That, that is that it is that way. And that is why in some ways people see the Democratic Party as the party that continues to stifle labor and continue to stifle yep. these progressive movements. They they want to co-opt our language. You know, I heard Joe Biden the other day and it made me sick to my stomach. He said that health care is a human right, oh. but he doesn't support the actual policy, Medicare for all, that would make health care a human right. They want to co-opt our language without actually supporting the policy. They want yeah. to talk the talk to earn votes, but they don't right. want to actually walk the walk and actually fight for the policies that will improve the lives of working people. So when no. I actually learned all of that, I see the Democratic Party as one of our biggest problems, just as big of a problem as the Republican Party. Because again, we are never going to change America if the two choices are essentially fascism and the Republicans and fascism light and the Democrats. Like it's never going to change that way. I know. And when you say that you're the enemy, you're reelecting Trump, you're all this. And it's it's very frustrating when, look, I've been doing this for a year and a half. And I can tell you that the most frustrating thing is arguing with Democrats as to whether or not health care is a human right. You know, at least here's the thing. I don't mind wolves, but I don't want them dressed like sheep. Just be yeah. a wolf. You want to be yeah. a wolf? Be a wolf. I that's fine. But with the Democrats, it's like it's just they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, with Republicans, we we know the knife is coming. Like we know yeah. the blade is coming because we can see the blade. They stab us in the front and the heart. Yes. With Democrats, corporate Democrats, they stab us in the back. We don't uh -huh. see the blade coming because they're on CNN saying, yeah, climate change is real, but they don't support a Green New Deal. You know, they say, oh, health care is a human right, but they don't support Medicare for all. They say Black Lives Matter, but they don't support defunding the police. No. So again, they talk in platitudes, but they don't actually support policies that are going to benefit and change America for the better. So again, they stab us in the back. And that to yep. me, it's like, do you want to be stabbed in the front or the back? I mean, those are our two choices. It's yep. not very hopeful. 
No, it's not. But I will say from being out there and doing this for a year and a half, I do feel hope in a sense that there are so many people that are recognizing this now and, and that are coming on board and especially younger people. Yep. This is a very generational thing. It really is. Yep. And what's going to have to happen is, unfortunately, as more older people die off, that is how we will start to eventually reach the point where we can crash through and get enough non-corporatists in. And it's just like we're waiting and waiting. And, you know, that's essentially what it is, is we have to bide our time until the older generation that's holding us back um, is outnumbered by the young people. Yeah, um, I want to uh, kind of transition to our last two segments. Um, sure. We have to talk about the climate crisis because amidst everything going on right now, it really is the existential crisis of our lifetime. And nowhere in the United States is, is more vulnerable to the effect of the climate crisis than Florida. Um, you know, recently it just hit 100 degrees in the Arctic, as I said earlier. And for the first um, and Republican, and yet, despite the fact that the climate crisis is bearing down upon us, both Republicans and corporate Democrats, like your opponent, Debbie Washman Schultz, are both still taking fossil fuel money. Republicans have no climate change plan, and corporate Democrats will say climate change is real, but they don't actually support a Green New Deal. Um, it's a nightmare, and there won't be a habitable planet left for future generations if we keep letting these corporate politicians put the short-term profitability of their donor, corporate donors over the long-term sustainability of our planet. Jen, how do we get the nation to collectively come together and understand that we are destroying our planet and that saving our planet shouldn't even be a partisan issue? This is one of those things that just requires us banging our heads on the wall over and over and over again until enough people listen. And this is very education based and really just requires us holding hands and kind of bringing people over to what they perceive is just so scary. And I, I would put this out there. You know, when people talk about the Green New Deal and, and they, they're like, it's not possible. How are you going to pay for it? All stuff. It isn't even specific policy. It's a vision. It's a mission statement. It's saying this is what we aspire to do. This is what we need to do to protect our kids, to protect our future, to protect our planet. It's not saying this is the only way to do it. It's literally just a mission statement, what we need to aspire to. So if you're going to vote for someone who can't even get behind the mission of mm. this, then mm. they have no vision. Because mm. we can discuss varying policies and ways to get to that, to accomplish that goal. But these people won't even sign on to the concept of uh, a jobs guarantee and a living wage, putting people to work to build up a sustainable infrastructure. And that's ultimately what the Green New Deal is. The Green New Deal, I mean, people tend to think it's purely an environmental thing. But really, it's social and economic justice as well as environmental justice. And that needs to happen. We need to transition people to jobs that are going to build up our alternative fuel sources and our light. We don't even have public transportation that's worth anything in this in, in Florida, for sure. Um, but it's we're light years behind. And yet we have a president who's building up a space force when I don't even have light rail. Right. Well, and, and like you said, we're actually, we're losing a lot of jobs because of technology and yeah. you know, because of self-driving cars that are coming and, you know, kiosks now when you go and you can order your food from a machine. So we are going, we are set to lose millions and millions of jobs in the next 10, 20 years. We need to start having these visionary, bold, 
plans and, and, and visions like the Green New Deal that imagines a new workforce exactly. in this century where we're going to put people to work to actually transform our economy into a green economy that actually is good for the planet. So we're killing two birds with stone. With, you know, we're killing two birds with one stone. We're creating jobs and yes. we're actually saving and protecting our planet. You know, and, So and, if you're seeing a politician that can't get behind that in concept, that's a red flag. That is a red flag. That's very well put. Um, finally, we're, 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 this is a long one, but I love talking to you. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> um, we need to talk about getting out the vote for your campaign because yeah. um, there's been a lot of national um, groups that have gotten into races. And that, that's one of the reasons uh, Jamal Bowman you know, beat Elliot Engel because he had a lot of help from some of the more national groups. Yeah. We're trying to get national groups to get in because this is a winnable race. I mean, if we can get the progressives, we need to get out. You can beat Debbie Washerman Schultz in a low turnout election, but it's going to take power. It's going to take people power. What does your campaign need from us, from the progressive community, to put you over the finish line so you can beat Debbie Washerman Schultz? Okay, so in the short term, everybody who wants to maybe, you know, put a little pressure and and suggest the Sunrise Movement officially endorse us because we're waiting on pins and needles to see if we get that because I believe that that was the organization that helped put Jamal Bowman over the edge. It did. Yeah. And so we are still waiting. And this is something people need to understand is that with these organizations that endorse candidates, they wait so long to do it. Like our absentee ballots have already been out and people have already submitted absentee ballots. And we're still waiting to get to see if we get the Sunrise Movement endorsement. And it's so frustrating that I'm sitting here like like waiting on pins and needles for a progressive organization to get behind a progressive candidate. Mm. <laughs> like it just shouldn't be that difficult. So right. what we need is we need the Sunrise Movement to kind of come on board with us. I think that would help significantly in this final push. And we need phone bankers and people can go on to gen2020.com. We need money and we need people to sign up to phone bank. It's easy. It's user friendly. You could do it from home. Um, but yeah, it, this is this has been very eye opening. And even the people and the groups and the organizations that you see as progressive, we're still having to play games with them and convince them and handhold them. And it's it's such a political game even within the people that are supposedly on your side. And it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. How, so how many phone bankers do you need? Because I have over like 4,000 listeners a month. So if we, I mean, do you need 40? Oh my God, we could take like, this. Look, I'd love to have 150 people on the phones. Right okay, now, so I want a challenge. I'm putting a challenge to my listeners. I want 150 of you, 150 of you to go to gen2020.com and sign up after you listen to this podcast, I know a lot of you don't listen on the day of the podcast, which is totally fine, but I need 150 of you to go to gen2020.com, sign up to phone bank and pitch in five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you can, because Debbie Washman Schultz is one of the most corrupt Democrats in the house. And we can replace her with a progressive Democrat who will fight for Medicare for all, a green new deal and universal basic income to move this country forward. So you guys that are listening right now, I don't want to sound preachy, but like you have the power. If we can just get 150 of you, 151, because I'm gonna I'm gonna donate tonight myself. That's awesome. If we can get 151 of us to go to gen2020.com and get involved in this race, we can be the difference. This little yeah. podcast, podcast, 
our little grassroots podcast of proud socialists, we can be the difference in this big election in Florida. And we can celebrate in August when, when we change this result. So please, we need 151 of us uh, to go to gen2020.com and sign up to phone bank. It, you know, I phone bank for some campaigns. You can just spend an hour or two hours a week. You don't have to do it every day. No, of course not. And it's really yeah. easy. And it's actually fun. Like, I love talking to voters. If you can tell, I'm a talker. Like, it's yeah. actually really fun. It's, you know what, it's, this is the thing that I am comfortable about. The people that are coming out to help us, they're helping us because they care. Mm -hmm. Debbie can never have that. She will never have that, that strength. What she'll have are paid phone bankers that are basically in a boiler room that they have no skin in the game. She's not going to have the people that are passionate, that care, that nice. are really busting ass for her. She can't get that. So she can pay for all sorts of employees and she could pay for with her, with her corporate with her big corporate money. Of course. Well, she's sitting on over a million dollars just this cycle alone. Wow. We're we're just over two hundred and fifty thousand. And I've been doing this for a year and a half. Yeah. But you did all that with your you did that yourself with people power. That's incredible. Yeah. And we are all people power. I've had, I have infinitely more $1 donations than I have max donations. I think I've only had two max donations this wow. entire time. Um, so we are all people powered. And the thing about that is it's the quality mm. of our workers that she cannot get that. And, and that's important. And that's where, when you get groups like the sunrise movement, because these are people that are really passionate about the change that they're trying to get, they're not just doing it for a paycheck. And that is something that's invaluable. And that would be the same thing for any of your listeners that went on. It's like, these are people that are doing it because they care. Right. You can't buy that. Well, and, and, I, and I think that people need to understand like that just spending one hour to two hours a week to phone bank for progressive candidates, that makes a huge difference. It does. A huge difference. That is, that makes you a part of this movement that is fighting for a better world. When we actually- have these conversations and you don't have to live in Florida. You know, I phone, oh, banked, no. I phone banked from California in the, the Bowman race that was in New York. So, you know, you don't. People need it, to see how it's important, the, even though it's not their district, that it does affect the overall um, nature of Congress and it affects the overall nature of the, the narrative in this country. Absolutely. Well, Jen, this has been a pleasure. I love talking to you. Thank you for being in this fight. Uh, thank you for everything you've done. I have been so inspired by your campaign. I am going to be fighting with you until the end. Um, again, people go to gen2020.com and chip in five bucks, chip in 10 bucks and sign up to phone, uh, to phone bank. We will all phone bank together to elect uh, a Medicare for all Democrat into Congress. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I just want to say JenFL23 is our Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Everyone go follow her. And Jen, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Amped Up. And uh, yeah, please... Uh, Go to gen2020.com and volunteer or pitch in and be a part of the progressive movement as we try to take back this government one seat at a time. I also, it's that time that I want to thank our Patreon subscribers uh, who make this podcast possible. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Jeremy Leeming, Liz Kirkland, Jeff Bonner, William Holtz, Trent Tobler, Michael Hardy, Molly Secors. 
Insurgent, Alexandra Orso, Shanna Pearson, Patty Clary, Walter Hackett, Alan Wood, Russell Whitworth, Ruben Sanchez Jr., Colin Bowden, Elizabeth Kim, John Lloyd IV, Eileen O'Farrell, and Mary Fancher. Thank you guys so much for your generous uh, donations. And if you want to be a supporter of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash proudsocialist. Have a good weekend, everybody, and I'll catch you next week with an all-new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight.